And now it is my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker, Carol T. Hi, my name is Carol. I'm a very grateful and enthusiastic member of Alan. I'd like to see the hands of the AA members in here. These are the ones with open minds. You cannot catch Alanonism any more than we can catch alcoholism. I hate to tell you that secret, but you might pass it on to your friends. Um, I am delighted to be here, kind of. I was having a really good time up until six. <laughs> because for many of these people in here, they've known me since I came in. Like Pat, who just gifted me with another handkerchief. She gave me my first one because I think because I used to shred the Kleenex. And uh, so I now have a collection. I never speak without my handkerchief. So. Because ladies always carry handkerchiefs. So. Anyway, I am uh, a really grateful member of Alan. Everything that I have in my life today, and I have everything that any woman could want, it's because of Alan. And uh, I need to tell you that I owe the beginning to a phone call that I made in the middle of the night, about 1:30 in the morning. <clears throat> and I called uh, AA because I had been to a couple AA meetings with uh, my first husband, the bad one, and uh, <laughs> and he uh, <clears throat> he talked to me on the phone. He did not tell me to press seven if I wanted to talk to this one or that. <laughs> uh, I don't know what he said, but he did ask me to give me give him. Uh, the number of where I was, that he had someone that needed to talk to me. And I think that God worked in my life even then. He certainly worked in my life for a long time, keeping me alive long enough to get to out to Elnon. And uh, the magic began for me when I went to put the phone down. It seemed like it rang again. And that was the beginning of a necklace of diamonds that only God and I can see. And by that I mean a lovely, soft, southern voice talked to me. And I, she talked to me for a long time. Her name was Thelma Morrell. She's upstairs now, probably sitting right next to Dick. Anyway, um, <clears throat> she talked to me and she came over to see me at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning and she stayed with me that entire rest of the day and she took me to my first Al-Anon meeting on August 15th of 1974 and uh, I found my home. I found my niche. I uh, I did not look as lovely as I look tonight. <laughs> I was missing a few teeth, lost the hearing in one ear, was black and blue from head to foot. And um, as a result, one more time, of my killer mouth and lack of knowledge. <clears throat> and I want to tell you that not one person in that room said, what happened to you? Did you get hit by a truck? They didn't ask me any questions. But I felt immediately at home, immediately. Um, a lovely little tiny lady, Pat size, came and she talked to me at the break. We had breaks at our meeting and uh, she, she, taught, she told me how she stopped the physical violence in her home. And if you've got old timers in your group and they share, listen. Mm -hmm. Listen to what they say. And uh, she said, I just simply waited until he was <clears throat> trying to sober up. And uh, she said, I had a black iron skillet in my hand. And she said, I said, remember, you have to sleep sometime. 
And you know, it came to pass. It came to pass for me. I hope I remember to tell you, <laughs> because when I said it, I had an aluminum ball bat in my hands, which is still uh, in my home today. And uh, he was starting to pass out, and I. <laughs> did my little bat dance and I said just remember you have to sleep sometime and he didn't react to it but I can tell you even today years and years and years later he became a nervous sleeper <laughs> he would start to pass out and he'd look to see <laughs> but you see it worked it definitely works. We laugh about this. This is the only place in the world we can go and sell you horrendous things and everybody. <laughs> so be blessed. If you're here, do we have any newcomers here? Hooray! <laughs> this is the first day of the rest of your life, honey. So keep coming back. <laughs> but anyway... I need to tell you a little bit about <clears throat> what I was what happened and what what I was how I was raised and stuff like that. And I need to tell you, I'm an army brat. I'm one of seven children. My father was in a career man in the army and uh, he took us all over the world. And uh I uh, have five brothers and a sister. I had five brothers for a long time just them and uh the rule in my house, because my mother has such a fine uh, sense of humor, and she gifted all seven of us with that, although I misused mine a lot in my first marriage. And uh, I, uh, they had to take me everywhere with them, and they hated it. They just absolutely hated it. But I can out-shoot them, out-run them, out-play them in any sport they have. And uh, they didn't like that one bit. Because I think even back then, they were certainly on my amends list because I didn't like the idea that they didn't have to do anything in our house. They didn't have to peel potatoes, they didn't have to set the table, they didn't have to do dishes, wash or dry, they didn't have to do nothing except sleep and eat and get to stay out later than I did. And uh, <clears throat> so I can tell you that my two boys can do everything. But anyway, um, it was a fun household because my dad was very, very strict with us and uh, I had to be in the house at 9 o'clock till I was 16 years old and uh, my brothers could stay out as long as they wanted to, which offended me. And uh, <clears throat> many years later, my mother had her last child and it was a beautiful little tiny, cute, petite baby girl. I didn't like her when she was born, and I didn't like her much when she was an adult for a long time. And because of this program, <clears throat> uh, we were very, very good friends. But anyway, we uh, moved a lot. I hated being a girl because my mother didn't know how to do hair, and I had to wear braids wrapped around my head till I was 16. And... Uh, I resented that. And I know these resentments are as a result of doing a written fourth step with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous written in the four-column method. And uh, I know that's not conference approved, but nobody in the room is conference approved, so I don't care. <laughs> and uh, they were certainly on my list. But uh, I, I didn't want a whole lot when I was young. I wanted to grow up get married, have eight children, and live in one house, and my children would go to school, and their children would go to school, and, and uh, it would be wonderful. We'd never, ever move. I would never be the new girl in school again. And uh, thanks to our sense of humor, we used to tell people that my brother and I were twins because they... Uh, as, as most Al-Anons, I was very good in school, and I went to a private convent school, and uh, I need to tell you that my folks are not Catholic. They weren't Catholic then, and they weren't Catholic when they passed, uh, <clears throat> but that's what they did with young ladies in my day. Long time ago, <laughs> 
They put me in there to become a lady and get me out of overalls. <laughs> and I resented that because my sister wasn't, she was just a baby, but my brothers weren't going to school, private school, and uh, I was the only one, and uh, my nuns were not kind and loving. They were trained by Hitler. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, because of that fine Catholic education and everything that I saw in that place, the meanest nun in that school, who I carried her handprint for a whole week one time, uh, became one of my best friends in my adult life. And she, she was uh, visited my uh, husband and I every year for her sabbatical for two weeks. So uh, I have no fear of the cloth. I, I don't think that they're any different than anybody else, except that they're in a different job. And uh, I became a Catholic, and uh, I became a Catholic in that convent, and I majored in sin and minored in shame, because that's all I heard. <laughs> I, uh, all I heard was all the things that I even thought about were not good, not good. And uh, But it, it uh, gave me a fine education and uh, a fine friendship with people who are in the clergy and uh, anyway I uh, went to high school in Vienna Austria and it was a wonderful time for a young lady because I was uh, one of 37 high school students I had skipped a couple grades and uh, there were 50,000 GIs and uh, <laughs> at least with my little eyes but uh, and we would go to the USO dances at the at the USO and uh, the Red Cross, whatever they called it then. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun for us, but I could never go and chaperone. Uh, my brother, uh, my oldest brother, always had to take me and bring me home. And uh, when I say my dad was strict, I want to tell you that in those days, the Army men wore garrison belts, what they called it. Nice thick one that was about that wide. I don't know about that thick. Anyway, uh, my dad would come home and he would give what I call today his morning report to mother. They would be having their coffee and he would, she would rat on us. She did this, he did that, she did this, he did that, she did this, he did that. And he'd march us one by one and he'd spank us with the belt. Now, that was not child cruelty, believe me. We deserved everything we ever got. And... uh Besides that, it was fun to get a whipping in our house because we got to watch each other. <laughs> we used to pay my baby brother Tommy a uh, nickel to hide the belt. And then my dad would say, whoever hid the belt won't get a whipping if they tell me. And of course, Tommy would tell him, and then he'd get a whipping for <laughs> So it was a lot of fun. And I, I didn't have bad parents. They were not alcoholic, and that got me in a lot of trouble because my folks drank. They had parties on those army bases, and from the time I was probably 14, 15, I wanted to be 40 years old because they were in their 40s, and they just looked like they were having a good time. They sang. My mother sang and played the piano till the day she died, and... Uh, and they were a lot of fun, but I never saw any arguing, and I never saw any swearing, and I never saw any of that stuff. My brothers used to say, where were you? <laughs> <laughs> but each, the seven of us all remembered our parents as different. And I think it's the same in any family today. And, uh, but anyway, when I went, <clears throat> because of my fine education, I was out of school early, and I was working on a, my father had brought us back from Europe because it, times were bad over there and he didn't want us to stay anymore. We were there three years. And uh, so we came back to the States and my father was stationed in Pittsburgh, California. I now live three miles from where he was and the, and the Army base, Camp Stoneman, that was up there, is now a college. And uh, in fact, it was where my first child was born. But anyway, I never thought about that. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, a nice time. I was working on that Army base. I had a nice job. And uh, I had a friend in high school, and she called me, and she said, Carol, you ought to come out here 
and uh, watch football practice. She said, there's some really nice-looking guys out there. And she said, so we all go and we watch them. And so I went, and uh, and I met some of them. And uh, it's where I met the God of my understanding. And uh, he was tall and uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, big dimples, nice teeth, big shoulders, sound like a horse. But he was, he was everything that anybody could want. And I could not believe that he would even want to date me because I was much thinner than I am now. And uh, I still had those braids. And uh, I was a lifeguard in my spare time, and I swam in competition for the AAU and the PAL. And so it was a good life for me. And uh, But when I met him, I entered into the relationship the same way I entered into the marriage two years later. Lucky. Wasn't I lucky that this tall, wonderful man wanted someone as ugly as I was? Because I felt ugly. I never felt pretty uh, and uh, or didn't know how to do anything like wear makeup. I didn't wear makeup till I was 50 years old, thanks to Al-Anon. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, we went together for, we were engaged for two years. And uh, my husband proposed to me with those magic two words. You're what? <laughs> <laughs> All of you know what that means. And uh, we ran away and got married. And uh, for many, many years, that was a hard cross for me to bear. Worse than that, I had married the Southern Baptist. And uh, that's worse than being Freudian. <laughs> but uh, I made a lot of mistakes in that marriage. I uh, never never ever looked at his drinking and uh, I thought and he told me so that it was my fault and I don't know about you but we he used to be gone a lot and uh, <laughs> I was told after the first child that I could no longer have any more children and 15 months later I had another little girl and uh I had told him my dream of having eight children because I like big families and today I have the biggest family in the world because you are my love relatives. I love you better than I do my blood relatives and they all know it. <laughs> and uh, But the drinking started easy, you know. I know today and he, with his own lips, told me he was alcoholic when I met him, but I knew nothing about that. You know, I uh, did not go out drinking with him while I was, uh, when, when I was pregnant with uh, my first child, and because that wasn't what pregnant women did in those days. And uh, my oldest brother got my attention. He said, you know, if you don't go with him Friday when he calls you and goes with the team to that bar, he said, there's a lot of women out there that will. And that got my attention. And uh, so I started going with him on Friday night. Uh, <laughs> and let me tell you something about drinking. When I, I tried drinking at him, against him, tried to get drunk first so he would see what he looked like. And uh, you know what? Nothing works like that. Don't even try because they just take you home, dump you, and go back about their business when you get sick. So uh, I learned that that didn't work. But I never thought about alcoholism. I didn't know anything about alcoholism, had never heard of it, or AA or Al-Anon, none of those things. And uh, uh, I've worked since I was, I guess, 14, 15 years old, always had a job, and... uh, that, that was not in his case. He was in the service and he played football for the Army, so it was a real uh, pleasure for him, I guess it was. Anyway, um, I did everything I could in that marriage and uh, didn't even know 
what I was doing. I just thought I was going crazy. And uh, eventually I, he said uh, that he wanted to marry me in the Catholic Church because he knew with my conscience that I would never divorce him. And, uh, and he was right for a lot of years and more years than I like. And uh, because my folks were divorced after 40-some years of marriage, and seven of us, and we all took sides. None of our business, but this was before program. And uh, I have since made my amends before my parents died, and I'm really grateful for that. But uh, it was a hard time because I didn't want to get a divorce. You know, that was just defeat. And uh, we got married in church, and I got pregnant and had a little boy. And uh, <laughs> he wanted to make the priest pay for it, but it didn't work. <laughs> anyway, uh, and 15 months later, I had another little boy. Now, two of those children, the youngest girl and the youngest boy, were injured in birth, and I thought that was God getting even with me for being pregnant. So I kind of shoved him aside for the time being. And... Uh, God doesn't do that. God does not judge. And uh, he doesn't have to. There's a lot of people here that do it for him. <laughs> you laugh, Thomas, but it's true. <laughs> and things got worse, worse, and worser. Worser is an Alanese word. It's not even in the dictionary, but... All of you know what that is, because alcoholism is a sneaky, rotten, dirty disease. And uh, But I knew nothing about alcoholism. I just He always told me it was my fault. I wasn't pretty enough. I didn't dress right. I didn't cook right. I didn't do this right. I didn't do anything. And uh, let me tell you, I became obsessed. You could eat off my floors. They were so clean. But it was not a happy home. It was not a happy home. And my children have paid a big price for that, uh, living with me, not with him, but me. And I know today it was just simply lack of knowledge. I just didn't know what I was dealing with. And uh, I never fought back for a lot of years. And uh, it became necessary for me to because I was out of town and business. And uh, my son... <clears throat> had been taken to the doctor. He had been beaten by his dad with a belt for dirtying the entire floor of a parochial school. And I I said, kids couldn't do that. Kids can do that. And when they took him to the doctor, the doctor asked if what was happening in the home. And I said, nothing. My home is perfect. I mean, I really truly believe that. That's how... Um, just what I believe and uh, but when I went home that night after bringing him home from the doctor I told him that he would never touch the boys again uh, as long as he was drinking he was free to to spank them but he could no longer abuse them when he was drinking and he just switched he just switched whipping boys because uh, I became his target uh, and uh, you know what? If I'd have known better, I'd have done better. Or if I'd done better, if I'd have known better, I don't know which it is. But um, And I started fighting back, and it caused me a lot of lumps and bumps that I still have today. And uh, when people ask me about it, I just say, oh, it's an old football injury. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> for a while, when I first came to Al-Anon, I thought black and blue was the colors of Al-Anon. Uh, but anyway, and uh, besides all this, my husband became, uh, I became, uh, <laughs> or he became, he, I, would you believe he met all those women that were out there looking for him <laughs> when he was drinking? And uh, I, I don't like cheating. I'm happy to tell you I don't sponsor anyone who dates a married man or or uh, cheats in their marriage because I know what it does to a battered wife is something that is not funny we don't talk about it much but anyway things got worse and worse like I said and uh, 
I had ladies ladies calling me and saying, how come you didn't talk to me when I waved at you in the car? I wasn't even there. But uh, And he would be gone a lot. Sometimes he'd be gone, at the, the most was about 14 days. And uh, when he came home, uh, he would set me down and tell me we had that meaningful conversation. I just don't like that word, meaningful conversation. But... And he would tell me what I had done to cause him to do what he did. So it was always my fault. And uh, we moved a lot. Now, I moved, we moved 18 times during my marriage, and he was not in service. And uh, I didn't know anything about geographics. I didn't know anything about losing jobs and starting over and everything because I was raised, you know, to go where your husband goes. I mean, that's what my mom did. She made a happy home for us wherever we lived. And uh, so I didn't know the difference. And uh, and he would always tell me it was going to get better. <laughs> and it did. got better and worse. But um, we moved, uh, the last time we moved, we moved to um, Southern California. That was our last move. And it was... Uh, actually the beginning of a new life for me, but I didn't realize it then. Um, this time when he came home, uh, we had, uh, I used to say we moved from our house, but Alnon taught me to tell the truth, and we were being evicted from the rental home that we had, and uh, while he was gone, I had gotten enough courage to... Uh, save part of my check and rent an apartment which is down the street from where we lived and across the street from a church where I had uh, gone to apply for a job knowing full well that they would never hire me because it happened to be a Lutheran church and two of those members are here in this audience today and uh, I've kept in, in touch with a lot of them but Anyway, um, I was hired to work as a, a parish secretary. Now, today I stand before you as a certified parish secretary of the American Lutheran Church. I'm the only one they've certified, the only Catholic they've ever certified. <laughs> they have changed their application form, I might tell you that. <laughs> but my boss... Uh, I could talk to a little bit. I, I was not into telling the truth because I didn't know what the truth was. But uh, he helped me a great deal. And uh, he was gone this time. And the apartment that I rented had a, uh, a swimming pool. It was a new facility, and a lot of places weren't uh, full yet. And, and I got an apartment right by the pool with two bedrooms. By this time, my two daughters were married and living in Northern California, where I now reside. And uh, <clears throat> the boys were in high school. And uh, <laughs> he came home, and he was out by the pool, and he said, uh, Carol, let me mix you a drink. And I don't know where the words came from, but I said to him, I'll never drink with you again as long as I live. And uh, that's the only words. And the only part of that night that I remember now, my sponsors, I've had four, and they have all passed away, so I am sponsorless for one month and one day. And uh, But anyway, I uh, when I said those words, I don't know what happened, but I woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I ran away from home. And I ran to my boss's house. He called a doctor, and I called <coughs> I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's how I got to my first meeting. I walked in, and I was black and blue from head to foot. And when I woke up that morning, I was covered in blood. And like I said, I had lost a hearing in one ear, and I don't know what happened. Uh, and not only that, I really don't care because I don't live in the past at all today. And I'm grateful for that. I live in the now. And uh, <clears throat> that my phone call 
And they took me to my first Al-Anon meeting. And at that meeting, they explained sponsorship. And I got a sponsor. It was the lady that made the 12-step call on me that night. And that morning, and that day. And uh, she was a big part of my life for a long time. And uh, <clears throat> I came to Al-Anon. And... Uh, she gave me assignments because she knew that I was such a rule follower whatever she told if she told me something to do I would do it but she gave me assignments and my first assignment in Al-Anon was to go home and pretend to be happy while I was doing all those four letter words that so many of our new people coming in give up like iron, wash, cook (laughs) all those little things love, you know and I said I can't do that and she said well I'm only asking you to do it from this Thursday till next Thursday and she said "Um, just try it And, and so I did I went home and I whistled and I sang, and I whistle better than I sing. And uh, my husband would say, you're not happy. And I'd say, yes, I am. <laughs> I don't care how you release them. It's important that you release them, you know. Get rid of that power crap. And uh, it works for me. And my second assignment in town was finding a God of my understanding. And I use that today with the ladies that I sponsor. I only sponsor ladies. They have been to hell and back just like the alcoholics, so there's no difference. And after the first step for you AAs that are in here, you know, we're the same. We use everything you have. <laughs> we never give you credit, but we we do use it. And... Uh, I uh, I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. I'll be back. <laughs> I got my understanding, and I did that with Thelma's suggestion that I look in the mirror three times a day and tell the lady in the mirror that I liked her and that I loved her. Very hard for me to do, and that God loves me no matter what I do or say or feel. And... Uh, it it really, really got my attention. God does not judge me. He doesn't have to. He's got everybody out here to do it. And uh and many more. And uh I am glad of that. So I found a God who loved me. He loves me no matter what I do. And I begin to take him everywhere with me. And I still do it today. Um some places he don't want to go. Um, <laughs> I ended up going for food stamps and trying to get relief and uh, because uh, my husband uh, was unemployed. He had become uh, day and night mixed up. He would uh, sleep all day while I was working and he would be awake all night. And to this day I have problems with uh, the fan on the stove because he would play all these uh, things with motors in them, and, and I was just—I was just a bundle of nerves. I mean, it just drove me nuttier than a fruitcake. I really thought I was crazy and ought to go, but I'm too. Alnons are too cheap to go to a hospital. You know, who's going to believe you? But anyway, I uh, didn't have that kind of money, but I just got so paranoid. I was hardly worth anything, and. Uh, but I kept going to Al-Anon, and I didn't miss a meeting. I went to, I think I went to 45 meetings my first 30 days in Al-Anon. I did not have a car at my disposal, and uh, but Al-Anon's picked me up and brought me home, and uh, my sponsor most of all, because she was not afraid of my husband. He would stand out in front and, and tell me, look at me like, they're just a bunch of you-know-what. You know, I'm not getting any at home. You're giving it away. You know, that was a big thing. I said, God, if I'd have known what they make from these television shows, I might have tried it. But who would, uh, who would want to, you know? But uh, he always accused me of all these things. And by this time, I had um, 
a different sponsor. <laughs> I had Winnie as a sponsor, and I can remember running to her one night, and I said, Winnie, what am I going to do? He's still calling me a whore. And she said, well, you either are or you aren't. <laughs> and you know, I I didn't know it was that simple. <laughs> it just made sense to me. And uh, anyway, she uh, she was a great sponsor. She was a lot of fun. And uh, but during that time, I finally realized that I could no longer expect him to behave like I wanted him to behave for my sake and for the sake of our children. And uh, I didn't think my folks knew anything about what was going on in my home, and uh, at least that's what I thought then. But anyway, I uh, I got a divorce. I went to get the divorce. I didn't share with anybody about it, my children, my family, and uh, I got that divorce. And... Uh, was not an easy thing to do because we had to find him in order to get it and, <laughs> and uh, to serve him. But I'm grateful that I went to a uh, program attorney. Uh, I've always tried to use program attorneys and I've only gotten in trouble once. But um, I got that divorce and I stayed in Elm on single. And people would say to me, how come you're still coming down on? You don't, you no longer live with the problem. And I wear this mirror for a very good reason. It's called you're looking at the problem. <laughs> Made for me by a double winner named Donna who is still in our life today. And uh, so anytime I'm out, of sorts, I'm out of sorts with you or with him or with God or with anybody, I just have to look in the mirror and see where the problem is, and uh, it becomes real for me. I uh, I got very busy in Al-Anon, and uh, I became secretary of my group the first 30 days I was in Al-Anon. It wasn't because I knew anything or was qualified. It was because, I know you won't believe this, but when... My sponsor, who was the secretary of that group, threw the keys on the table and said, secretaryship is open for anyone that would want it, that nobody in that meeting raised their hand. <laughs> I know that doesn't happen today. <laughs> but I said, what does a secretary do? She said, not much. She said, you get the keys to the building. You show up an hour, at least an hour before, make the coffee, put out the literature, uh, pay the rent, uh, and you get to get the leaders and speakers for a whole year. Now you can't get them for 30 days. <laughs> God, I can't believe it. Of course, that's only in the northern part of the country. <laughs> Not in the southern part, <laughs> thank God. And uh, <clears throat> it was the best year of my life because in that short 45 meetings that I attended, I got to hear all the great people. Let me tell you, Elsa and Chuck, Winnie and Pat and, and uh, Cliff. Cliff was once my daily sponsor, but it didn't work well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Uh, I got to hear everybody. I had an A and an Alnon uh, couple, you know, and some woman came up to me and she said, that's, that's not allowed. I said, I'm secretary. If you want to be secretary, honey, you have at it. <laughs> but when I'm in charge, I follow the rules. And that they said, they didn't say in the book, you can't do that. I had Alateen panels. I was very active with the Alateens in my area and I'm forever grateful because I still have some of them in my life today, especially the young man who I had taken off my tape because he swore so much from the podium. <laughs> and he called me the next day and said, why did you do that? I said, because you're an example. And when you talk like that, people in the audience say, see, now you know I don't take children to Alateen. And uh, 
you know, they don't dress, they dress well and they're active in their program today, whether they're at A or L not. But they got a good foundation because we taught them everything. <laughs> in those days, there weren't as many rules probably. And I had an, L, an AA co-sponsor and that was a big help to me. But anyway, it was a, a fun time for me. And um, at, when it was time for me, um, I started dating in Alan, and I asked my sponsor, I said, how come, how come no one asked me out? You know, I go to open AA meetings every week. I had my own chair there. I didn't want anybody to sit in it, especially a drunk. I mean, <laughs> I earned that chair because I wanted to listen. I learned a lot. I learned to think kinky in AA meetings. <laughs> I'll be forever grateful. My nickname in those days from the La Habra group was Crazy Carol. <laughs> and uh but I but I loved my life. And when it was time for me I started dating and uh, I dated some alcoholics who were not conference approved and uh <laughs> but they were fun and they were all gentlemen. And uh when it was time for me I had been an Al Non uh ten years, I guess just about ten years. Uh I went I was dating an ordinary person, at least he thought he was ordinary. His, his wife had a drinking problem, his ex-wife had a drinking problem, I should say, but he couldn't see that. And uh, it's okay because the PWPs out there, the people without program, or people with problems, everybody has problems. I don't care who they are. And there's nobody normal, they're just ordinary people with a workable faith. And, uh, I was taught that here. I uh, I was going to an Alateen wedding. They had uh, met in Alateen and they were grown up in 18, 19, and uh, they were getting married. And uh, I'll tell you how my God works. He made me look really good that week. I had come back from Palm Springs at the Roundup, sitting out in the water in the pool with <laughs> milk. Milton one time and uh, Ruby and all my friends and and I had long uh, blonde hair. I love the gray hair though. It just I only have the nice gray in the back. It looks like it's stuck. <laughs> I love it. I love gray hair. And there on the steps of this church, my boyfriend did not want to go because he knew there would not be any drinking. He certainly didn't know what he was dealing with that day. But anyway, we w I went to that wedding and I had on my best trolling dress and a nice tan. And I've since given it to another Al-Anon who still hasn't trolled enough. <laughs> There's an art to it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, on the steps of that church stood Dick Thornton. Now, I had known his children since they were 12 years old in Alateen. And uh, at one time on a 12-step call, I had taken his ex-wife to a meeting, but I didn't realize that for years. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I saw him and I said to the mother of the bride, he really, he's really a nice-looking man. And... Uh, about that time, he he started into the church with a short, blonde, voluptuous lady. Now I gotta tell you, I'm still waiting to develop. You know, <laughs> I know I'm not an alcoholic because I I was walking through uh, <laughs> in Nebraska. I was going through the AA meeting and I heard this lady at the podium say, "The more I drink." the bigger my tits grew. And I thought, wow, that hasn't happened to me. He told me I was voluptuous inside, so whatever. But um, it was Peggy Martin. <laughs> Bless her heart. And she's still part of my life today, too. But anyway, um, so I, uh, that was okay. But anyway... When he walked in with that lady, I said to the mother of the bride, you know, as soon as 
she goes into the ladies' room. I'm going over and give Dick Thornton my card. And she said, oh, Carol, you wouldn't do that. And I said, well, it's a program of attraction, and I want what he's got. (laughs) (laughs) And I went over, because my time came, and uh, said, Dick, if you're ever in La Habra or Whittier, give me a call. And... uh, I went home, and I waited. (laughs) I didn't want anybody sponsored calling me. I didn't want any phone calls because I knew that he was going to call. And uh, a month later, well, in between that time, I had called Winnie, and she said, what's the matter with you? And I told her, and she said, if you want him in your life, then put his name on a piece of paper and put him in your God box and get your buns back into the business of living. And uh, by that time, I was working for a firm in, uh, excuse me, in Cerritos. And uh, I had hired BR, many of you know BR, and uh, we worked together at this place. So I said, uh, I guess he's never going to call. She said, probably not. And I was supposed to go up north to visit my folks at the time. And and BR said, why don't you just stay home? We've had such a big month, and we're both tired. And she said, why don't you? I said, well, you know, I've already told everybody I'm going, and, you know, I'm missing all the potlucks. It was on a holiday weekend or something. And she said, well, why don't you just stay home and rest for a change? And I did. I was teachable, a little bit teachable. And uh, I stayed home that night, and I was in bed reading, and... uh, My phone rang, and this deep, sexy voice said, uh, This is Dick Thornton. And I said, Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And after talking for a long time, he asked me out, and uh, we fell in love. I mean, we dated, and we fell in love. And uh, we fell in love, me, Serena, and us, and Al-Anon, and him sober and Alcoholics Anonymous a year longer than I was in Al-Anon. And, uh, and we both said that we did not want to get married. Uh, and I don't know who was more surprised, me or him, the night he proposed. Uh, and uh, we were engaged and... Uh, we we got married, and we had uh, he had four children, and I had four children, and that gave me the eight that I had always wanted. And uh, we had a large church wedding, and many of the people here were there, and uh, it was like we joined two families because he was from Torrance area and I was from La and Whittier, and. Uh, we all had the same friends. That was amazing. And uh, and we were married in a church that I worked for for many years. I worked there eight and a half years, four and a half before program and four and a half making amends. <laughs> but uh, it was a wonderful time for me. I uh, We got married and uh, we, we did have some counseling. You have to tell me. I will. You're in clerk, huh? You've got time. Okay. Um, I'll punch you when you have five minutes. Just thinking. Fresh. (laughs) (laughs) Wishful thinking. Anyway, um, we had a wonderful life. We made some promises. We had talked to uh, one of the pastors there, and uh, he told us, he said, you know, Carol, the only problem in first, second, third, fourth marriage, whatever the case may be, our kids and money, and and so we made some r- rules amongst us between us. We we uh, we didn't do it. Our children, when they called for their mommy or their daddy, had to talk to both of us because it was always about money when they called. And uh, and we did no babysitting for our then sixteen children, grandchildren, and uh, because they were. That this was the time of our life, and uh, we both knew what we wanted. And I want to tell you about this man. He was absolutely, positively wonderful. 
He loved me from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. He took all the pain out of my first marriage and proved to me that it can be, that uh, it's okay to love an alcoholic, you know. And uh, and he taught me so many, many things. And uh, we had a wonderful time. We got to speak together. And uh, that was something that I never, ever dreamed of, you know. I always thought that was, that is a big diamond, big diamond to be able to share with your husband. There's no better way. And uh, and to love them. You know, they do not know, and children do not know, they need to be told on a regular basis that they are loved. If you want your husband to be a lover, then you have to make the first move and do it. If you want them to be a hugger, it's the same thing. And it's the same with children. They need to be told, I love you. And for me, it was like learning to speak Chinese when my sponsor suggested that I tell my family. And uh, I have never been sorry because I believe that love is the only answer, no matter what the program. Because I think this whole program is about love. And the steps, you know, I... uh, I had started a 12-step panel that uh, was very popular in California, and it wasn't that we knew anything more about the steps than you did, but the five of us had a ball. We were enthusiastic about working the steps because those are the only thing that's asked of you when you come here. Get a sponsor who will help you do the steps, not work them, do them. And I always carry this nice piece of paper, you can see how ratty it is, that loves the answer no matter what the problem. Love in the 12 steps. Step one is I learn to accept by recognizing that I'm powerless. That then I receive the strength to cope with what I have accepted. And steps two and three, I find a loving God. <clears throat> a loving God that loves and accepts and forgives me. And I believe God does that. Steps 4, 5, and 6, and 7, with God's help, I learn to love, accept, and forgive myself. And on steps 10, 11, and 12, I maintain the love I have received from the other steps, and I reach out to others. And I continue to do that as often as I can, because Alan and I saved my life. I, uh, and my husband had a wonderful sense of humor. He was a good-looking, silver, gray-haired, blue eyes, nice face, dimples. Didn't look like a horse. But <laughs> he, uh, <clears throat> he broke his hip nine months after we were married. That's so we didn't have any kids, you know. We, we had a broken hip. And, uh, and at that time, uh, he worked for a large aerospace corporation, and he was an absolutely brilliant, brilliant man. I don't say that because he was mine. And he did not make me feel stupid nor dumb at any time. We had never had a quarrel in our house. The closest to criticism that he ever came was one day when I was busy in the kitchen, and uh, the laundry room and things, just doing things. You know how we do. We can do ten things at once and still look good. And uh, he he came out of the shower and he said, "Boy, boy, am I glad that I was a gymnast in high school and college." And I said, "Why? What made you think of that?" He said, "Because when you're in the shower and you're all soaked up," he said, "and warm and." ready to rinse off and and the water is ice cold he said I can climb up that pipe pretty good (laughs) and get out of the shower (laughs) I had no idea I had the the wash machine going the the dishwasher going this going and that going because I was busy and that's as close to criticism because he said there's no such thing as constructive criticism in a marriage. And I believe that. 
he taught me to love openly, honestly. And uh, we had a wonderful time. And when he recovered, <laughs> when he broke his hip, I got, he wanted me to stay home for my job. That was very hard for me to do because where would I get the rat hole money to give to those kids when they needed it, you know, because we all have rat hole money. And um, <laughs> the ones I know do. And uh, <clears throat> he said, well, Carol, I can afford for you to be home. And uh, he said, and I would love for you to stay home. And uh, because you've never had the opportunity. And I did get to stay home uh, for, uh, gosh, I don't remember how many years, but um, I don't really like daytime meetings. The only one I ever loved was Laguna Beach, which we uh, fashioned our Monday night Al Anon meeting after many years later. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> we had a lot of fun. And then Dick, got very, very ill with emphysema because we were both smokers. I mean, we smoked. Yesterday we were walking out here and I tell you, I smelled this lady sitting out there smoking. I said, I love your, the smell. And she thought we were making fun of her <laughs> or being sarcastic. I said, no, lady, we really do love it. <laughs> we just can't do it anymore. <laughs> but... Uh, Dick, um, along with emphysema, uh, had lots of problems with his lungs. Turns out that, in hindsight, he had burned his lungs when he was a kid with a chemistry set and didn't tell anybody. But anyway, um, it ended up that I, I went back to work. I went back to uh, uh, Hughes and uh, got a job there because I needed the the time and the money by then and uh, um, Dick was at home hooked up to a 50 foot hose and uh, was terminal he was pronounced terminal by the the uh, pulmonist and uh, if you have someone sick in your family I encourage you to go with them for every single appointment no matter what whether they say don't do whatever go because it's important and um, so when I got off work that day, uh, I went to the, I had met this man in the credit union, and uh, he was hooked up to a hose, but he was on a cart. And, and uh, so we got to be uh, talking about treatments and stuff. And then a month later, he came into the credit union, and he was not on the equipment anymore. And I, I asked him what happened. He said, well, I'm on the, I'm on the list for a lung transplant. I said, I didn't know they did the lung transplants. He said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, but you have to go through an exercise program and a lot of tests and things, he said. And uh, I've done that, so now I'm just waiting. And uh, so that day when I went to the doctor, I asked him why he did not tell us about the lung transplant program. And he said, well, he said, I didn't think Dick was a good candidate. I said, well... I don't think you're God. <laughs> I said, you don't have the right to keep that information from your patients. I said, uh, so I want to look into the lung transplant program. And uh, we went uh, in Los Angeles to Cedars, and uh, we went through all the tests, we went through all this stuff, because you'd have to be psychologically. I thought that would get me <laughs> normal. And... Uh, we passed all the tests, but the surgeon, when we came for the final thing, said, uh, no, that Dick, that Dick had some plaque on his, some for around his heart or something, and uh, he refused us. And uh, I was angry. I don't think I have ever been so angry. Uh, but i got to tell you a little secret. I have a friend who works at that hospital who told me he was a drunk. <laughs> I didn't want him touching my husband. But anyway, I didn't find that out for years. But uh, the little nurse, they always have wonderful nurses, and this nurse said, that, don't worry about him, Carol. She said, there are lung transplant programs all over the world today, and there's a fine one in, that's in San Diego. And she sent us to San Diego, and we went through all the tests again. 
and we passed. And I told, it was a team of uh, a lady doctor and a man doctor, and they were from Minnesota and had just gotten there. I didn't know they moved the whole team when they moved. And uh, I told her, I said, well, the doctor turned us down because there's some plaque on there. She said, oh, don't worry about it. She said, if he needs a heart, we'll give him a heart. So <laughs> she was wonderful. And uh, I need to tell you that my husband got a lung transplant July, t- July 10th. Was it July? Yeah, July 10th, 1992. He was one of of 74 lungs in the entire United States that were given out, and he got that lung, and it began a whole new a whole new life for us. It was wonderful. In fact, Pat and I were walking with him to to have lunch down in San Diego, and he made us stop. He said, "Stop." And we stopped on the sidewalk, and he turned around, and he spit his gum out into the middle of the road. <laughs> and we said, what is wrong? He said, isn't it wonderful I have the air to do that? <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. It was great. Everything was in perfect order. I need to tell you that. And it was wonderful. <laughs> Okay, but anyway, my husband, uh, because of a doctor who thought he was God, gave a mess with his meds. This is as I believe, and uh, Dick knew he was dying, and uh, because of what they, what the patch and the different things they'd fooled with, and uh, he did not die alone. I need to tell you that you don't ever have to do anything alone in this program. You've always got someone in here who has been through it. So please, please don't keep, you know, you're only a six, your secrets. And uh, Dick was dying and he wanted to die at home, and I said, fine. And the nice part about that marriage was we talked about everything. I just wish I'd have listened a little more about the financial stuff, but I didn't. And uh, and we talked about dying, and uh, he thought he could die at home. But the pain was too much. He was, his back was uh, uh, breaking from prednisone and different things. And uh, so we had to, the doctor said, bring him in. And Dick, I took Dick to the hospital, and uh, he was not there very many days. And uh, this particular day, our internist came in, and uh, she had saved Dick's life many times along with mine. And uh, she said, Carol, don't don't go home tonight. He's going to be gone by morning. And uh, and he was. And Butch and Larsine were there, and Sandy and Willie. And uh, and uh, I, Dick said he just hated to die and, and leave me. And I said, Dick, I was okay when you met me. And I'll be okay when you're gone. I will miss you and I still do today after almost 15 and a half years and uh, he died very peacefully Larsing and Butch and them took me home and uh, I got showered and, and changed clothes and we went to, to the, I need to tell you this because humor is so important we went and uh, the guy was asking me all these questions and they were answering and he said uh, are these your relatives? And I said, they're my love relatives. Well, ordinary people don't ever hear the word love. Scares the heck out of them. And, uh, and uh, anyway, we had to look at caskets. And, and the, it was just like this room. It just had casket after casket. And we're standing there, and I was kind of frozen in the doorway. And Larsine leaned over to me, and she said to me, Carol, Kathy just called. She said, if you have to buy a casket, don't buy it here. She can get you one on the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't ever have to do anything alone. But, you know, don't cheat yourself. In order to get Alan on, 
just like AA, you have to attend meetings. You get to attend meetings. You don't have to. You can stay home and be the witch that you were in the beginning. <laughs> and, um, but Alnon will teach you to love. To love like you've never loved before. And you know, when I got up here, I told Arsene we prayed up in the room, and then uh, we, she told me that Mike Lean said to her that she always says a prayer too, and she always says, God, don't let me suck. <laughs> but I need to tell you how I feel. I read something one day about a young, <clears throat> the, God's business manager got up one morning and he <clears throat> and, uh, was in the office and God came in and said, uh, so did you get any calls last night? Or anything happened? And he said, no, not really. He said the usual things. They want switch wives or switch husbands or sell the house or buy a new car or kill the teenagers or do all these things. You know, regular stuff. And he said, oh, okay. And God said, was there anything else? He said, oh, yeah. He said, there was a lady from uh, Antioch, California, and all she said was, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he said, give that woman anything she wants, and you have done that.